please universe, higher, whatever it is, make it so obvious that I can't deny what I need to be here for or why I'm here. Like I want those signs to be so clear and they are clear if we're willing to see them, if we're willing to recognize them. Um, and then I, I really discover those things pretty quickly. Once you ask and you are willing to see it, it's pretty easy to be like, oh, okay, there we go. Oh, okay, there we go. Like so literal, like life can become quite the metaphor when you are living <laughs> in that way. Welcome back to another episode of Get Psyched. I'm your host, Lindsay, and today our favorite meathead hippie of all time, Emily Schramm, is joining the show. We are talking all about how Emily has moved from doing into being and how that has really, truly allowed her to start living. We talk about the beauty that's in childhood wonder and creativity and restructuring what Emily's relationship to power looks like. So if any of those things make your ears perk up, today's show is 1000% for you. I took so much away from this conversation and cannot wait for you to do the same. As always, you know, I am sitting down and sipping a delicious element throughout the entire show. So if you want to get your hands on a free sample pack, hit the link in the show notes to just pay for shipping. Try every flavor you can. And then once you've picked your favorite, throw in an order. They are so good. You will not regret it. It is my favorite go-to drink every day. And I can't wait for you to try it until next week. Enjoy the show. All right. I am sitting down with the meathead hippie herself, Miss Emily Schramm. I'm so excited. We're actually doing a double header today. I was just on her show and I'm so excited to have you on Get Psyched. This has been a really long time coming. I think we've had a lot of sushi dates and conversations in between when we talked about actually doing this. So I'm so, so thrilled to have you on the show. Um, thanks for being here. Oh, you are so welcome. And thanks for being on mine. That was such a beautiful conversation. I love what you talk about and what you do. And yeah, it's such an honor to be here and get to know you more. It's so exciting. Now I get to put you in the hot seat and ask you all oh, the same question. <laughs> so that I wanted to start because I love, um, you know, I think so many of us get stuck in black and white thinking and there isn't a lot of room for the gray. And your show is called Meathead Hippie, which is, you know, so polar opposite ends of the spectrum. And I always joke that I'm a redneck with hippie tendencies. And so I feel so connected to you in that way. And I just wanted to know what the, what the story was, what the background was on, on that name. Well, originally the podcast was Infit Radio or something super cheesy and it just didn't land for me I was so grateful that I just said I'm going to start a podcast and this feels right for me to do and threw myself out there but I knew the name wasn't right and when I was talking to um, a dear friend just like who I was I'm like I don't know I'm just like a meathead who's also kind of a hippie <laughs> me head hippie. This is it. And it's just so perfect. I mean, some people really don't get it. Like meathead is something that you either get or you don't, you usually have to be in some sort of gym setting at some point in your life for you to understand it. But there's been so many times I'd be wearing my hoodie and 
I'd have a lot of people who did not appreciate the idea that you should eat meat stop me and be like, what does that mean? You know, almost like angry, like, what does that mean? I'm like, it just means that I like to lift weights and do bicep curls. <laughs> <laughs> but I also do think you should eat meat if it's regeneratively sourced. But yeah, it just was a perfect combo of who I was and kind of um, what I hope, you know, people allow themselves to do, which is bring multiple sides of themselves to the table. And whether that's redneck hippie or meathead hippie, whatever that might be, it is important for us to recognize all the sides of us. Absolutely. I would, when, cause people have asked me the same thing, like, what the hell do you mean like that by that? I'm like, well, like I like to worship the moon and drink a Coors Light while I'm doing it. You know, <laughs> I'm allowed to do both. <laughs> Where were you born? I was born just outside of Yosemite. So very, very, um, you know, blue collar Mm -hmm. agricultural. And it was so funny because for the longest time, I'd love to hear if if you had a similar experience. Um, I didn't think the way the collective around me thought. And for so long, I was like, you know, just kind of conformed. Like I wouldn't always agree, but you know, would just kind of like be silent and go along, which is, you know, making a decision nonetheless. But it wasn't until I moved, I literally moved from most like conservative California to Santa Cruz and got dropped into arguably like one of the most woo-woo liberal places. And I remember for the first time being like, I'm home. I like people think like me. I'm not wrong for doing like thinking this way. Um, And so I'm curious if you had a moment like that where you were like, oh, there's a different way to live. Oh, yes. I grew up in Missouri. So very, you know, very similar in so many ways. Northeast Missouri too. There's lots of different parts of Missouri and different beliefs all across the state. But I mean, I still feel that I am always going to be in search for home. That's actually a big thing for me is that home is not really this, this planet. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) being with nature for sure is where I'm the most at home, but, um, yeah, it's a really interesting epiphany I've had where I'm recognizing this lifetime as a little bit more of just embodying who I am and all that I need to be. And, you know, kind of pushing the boundaries of, my self-belief and the patterns that I have in order for me to just keep living. But I've never really landed in a spot that wasn't nature and like highly surrounded by a waterfall or something that was mother earth and felt like at home. I know it's, I think some people relate to that, but um, it has been nice because I think no matter where you go, like I kept going West. So no matter what, I feel like West is a little bit more my home. If I said anything, it's like, where's home West, (laughs) (laughs) no, it's West. Um, so I found myself in Colorado, which definitely had more alignment with just in general, being more adventurous in nature, having this lifestyle of snowboarding and living in this beautiful, rocky, supportive, grounded, rooted home that felt like, wow, okay, I can actually like feel a little bit more energetically balanced and a little bit more inspired by my life without having the effort or like fight for inspiration. I just was in it. Um, But right now I'm actually in Northern California as well. So it's been a totally different understanding of what this area looks like and feels like and what the land is and then who the people are. And 
yeah, it's like anywhere West, I think I always respond to, but nature is probably the most home I felt, which of course is Maui. We talked about this. Um, yep. Maui was like, oh my God, I found my home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so have you been back to Missouri much since? I have. Yes. I always visit my mom in the summer. I'll go again this summer. Uh, my, my mom, my daddy, and my sister, my grandma, and all my aunts, cousins, they all live in Missouri. And yes, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. I don't know if you've ever looked into astrocartography before, right? You can like really see these lines and these patterns that come up where you're like, oh, wow. Okay. I, no wonder why I hated that place or no wonder right. why I love this place, but we were looking it up, me and my two sisters. And, uh, one of my sisters has like Chiron straight through our hometown, basically. It's like, okay, no wonder why you never want to go back. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's really fun to start to see, like I'm there for the people, but I am in no way feeling that rooted to the land. But I also think every time I change and every time I learn more about myself or unfold a new part of myself, I always give those parts another chance because mm. I never want to swear it off. There's a reason I was born there. There's a reason I landed there. There's a reason I was raised there. And so many times it's like, shove it in a corner, put it in a box. We've moved on. But like we talked about in the last interview, it was like, sometimes the things we're most resistant to are the things we need. So I'm always curious when I land and when I visit, when will I start to understand a little bit more of why I started here? And that's been a curiosity that's been very helpful because uh, it does feel, if you're not careful, like some of these reflections or some of these revisitings of past places can feel like regression mm -hmm. and then you can reframe it. And then you're like, Oh no, this is just like an unfolding of this mystery of my life, this crazy wild ride that we are on. <laughs> yeah. I had a really similar experience. Um, I told you I moved to Santa Cruz. I spent a decade there. And then with the pandemic, I went back to my hometown and I was there for about five months before moving down to San Diego. And I was trying to explain to people the experience of being quote home and being a completely new human re-experiencing that home and what was coming up in that. Um, and so I love that you were saying you get curious about what was, you know, what was I supposed to learn from these parts? Why, you know, how am I still leaving the door open? So how are you kind of questioning that patterning, right? Kind of what practices or what things do you do to get in touch with those parts that would be so much easier to just like put in a box and ship off somewhere else? Ah, uh, totally. Cause it is easier to put in a box and shove it off somewhere else. And we've done that for so long and it didn't work. Right. We, it's just, this is something that we finally are recognizing in ourselves. Like, I think all of us are ready to face it. We're ready to understand it. We're ready to get to know it. And it's interesting when we are, I don't know if you can hear and apologize. This is my dog, my sister's dog drinking some water over here. <laughs> Mine is a little snoring in the background. Cute. Uh, this idea that when you are so present, and this is something I fought, I still fight for it 
every day of being in presence because it's so easy for me to get to a mission or to get to a task or to you know feel as if I am on a mission my ego would need that in so many situations like I needed to feel as if I was here for a reason and of course I think we are here for a reason but it kept me from really being in the presence of what is this moment and when we hear people talk about this you know philosophers and everyone talks about it everyone wise <laughs> talks about it. just be present it, they right? might be onto something they might be onto something right and so when it's, it's so fun when you yourself are like oh I get it I understand it and so it's just really being hyper aware like that's how I find presence is being really hyper aware to my surroundings almost to a fault right it's like almost sensory overload but I would rather have that and not miss something because I missed so much in my life I don't remember so much of my my life because I was in this action doing kind of you know it was my protection was to kind of constantly move and so when I'm hyper aware of things whether it's the smell or whether it's um, kind of somebody's body cues or a conversation or like how I feel around somebody or how my energy shifts around somebody or, you know, just these moments, especially when you look at people you used to hang out with or friends or family, um, for me, that brings up everything I need. And so sometimes I just ask in the morning, like, please universe hire, whatever it is, make it so obvious that I can't deny what I need to be here for or why I'm here. Like I want those signs to be so, so clear and they are clear if we're willing to see them, if we're willing to recognize them. Um, and then I, I really discover those things pretty quickly. Once you ask and you are willing to see it, it's pretty easy to be like, oh, okay, there we go. Oh, okay, there we go. Like so literal, like life can become quite the metaphor when you are living <laughs> in that way. Like, oh, okay, like here's this owl that's like sitting with my dad on my birthday. It's like recognizing all these shadows. It's like, you know, just never ending story after story. It's like making your own little cartoon book of like life is a metaphor in a mirror. So I think just being really clear that you want to see it, that you're willing to see it, and then you're willing to slow yourself down enough to be aware when it's right in front of you. Yeah. How did you start doing that? Because I know that that for me, someone who was very much stuck in doing for a very long time, it was terrifying not, not to do, right? And to go from one side of the paradigm to the other, right? The other side of that pendulum. How did you start to do that? And how did you kind of reassure yourself that you were safe and on the right path as you were doing so? Mm. Well, it's so, I remember the moment it happened. So I write about this in my, in my book. It's like a poetry prose book of myself as a doer. So do into feel into know and kind of the progression of those three do feel know and learning how to make or learning how to create from that place where all of those are balanced or all of those exist. And I had created and made just by doing for so long that because I had hit a wall or because I felt so out of balance, I felt so polar. I felt, you know, it was just constantly on a roller coaster, it was this decision of, okay, there has to be something else, right? There has to be another way for me to feel balanced or grounded. I'm sick of the same story of 
this roller coaster pendulum swing that I've allowed myself to be on. Really high highs, really low lows, really high highs, really low lows. And so if I want to feel more balanced or feel a little bit like more myself, more consistently, not kind of just a byproduct of my moods because I was all over the, all over the map. Um, what might that look like? And so that was the first question of, I was curious to see how to make myself, not make myself, but how to be a better partner, friend, boss, coworker, like, you know, you name it. It was just in general, like, I know something's not as optimal as it could be. I feel stressed, burnt out. I'm not happy. This shit, this shit's got to change. And so I was watching, you know, how on Thanksgiving, they always do like the Harry Potter marathons. And so I was uh, so excited about it. It was like, oh you're my a God, wizard, Emily. <laughs> and I was so going to be Gryffindor. So it was um, during one of the story, I don't remember which movie it was, but I was just so excited about it because I grew up really, really religious uh, where things like Harry Potter wasn't allowed. And Harry Potter was the first book that I was reading post leaving this religious cult or this religious sect that I was in. And so it had such sentimental value for me as somebody who loves magic and loves fantasy and loves to live in a world that isn't this like super mundane physical world. Harry Potter was like my movie. I, my cat is named Gryffindor Hemingway. You know, like I love Harry Potter. And so when I sat to watch this series and kind of expected like while I was watching it to feel reminiscent, to feel sentimental, to feel as if this was going to be something that took me back to these moments of fantasy and what Harry Potter does, right? It just makes you feel like, wow, like sentimental and nostalgia. But when I was watching it, I realized I didn't remember any of it. And it was this big, powerful moment. And I just started sobbing on the couch where I was like, how do I not remember this? This is so a part of my life. Like this was something that I love and something that I thought that I would remember all of. And it was like, you've blacked out everything in your life because you're so busy doing. And I was like, Whoa, my God. (laughs) So I wrote a poem about it in that moment. It was like this really kind of silly but so important for me recognition of like I choose in this moment moving forward to stop trampling on these beautiful moments of presence because I'm doing that again and again and again and when am I going to stop and so that really like ripped the band-aid of this question of how much can I feel how much am I willing to feel and because I'm a cancer moon and I didn't know it at the time I was like very much unaware of what I was letting in, but I knew it had to happen. I knew it had to be something drastic. It had to be something really all in for me to understand how to make it back to that middle ground, which was, I can equal, equal parts do as feel. And that was like the search. I think it was, of course, some of the stuff we talked about as well, like so uncomfortable, so stressful so you know on it's just a foreign state of being you know a lot of it is like your pride just dies you have to let your pride Mm -hmm. die and so the way I worked out had to change once I adjusted kind of who I who I was in in this do manic state 
I had to recognize what things I was letting in my life that kept me, that enabled me, that, that helped my ego feel, you know, validated, you know, those start, those things slowly started to fall away and change. And it, it affected every level of my life. You know, there wasn't anything that wasn't affected by it. And at some points it feels like absolute death (laughs) because it is, it is a death of so much. Um, but you trust that it's a rebirth of something that is a much more wholesome, integrated, supported and supportive you. And then it's like, okay, you do that. And then you, you do it again. So I don't know if it all the work will ever end, but that was definitely the moment, the Harry Potter moment. Right. It's like, who doesn't want Harry Potter and acute ego death over Thanksgiving? (laughs) Right. It was, it was like a week alone. I was so excited. And then like, I had no idea what I was getting into. (laughs) So, so needed and so necessary. You know, I had lived in that state of do for a really long time. And it, as we all know, it's just not sustainable. Um, Nor is it, you know, the best parts of you, the best parts are always so integrated. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I joke that, um, you know, the universe, our bodies, they're willing to whisper to us for a really long time until all of a sudden we're not listening and they are absolutely yelling at us to make a change. And it sounds like Harry Potter might've been that, (laughs) that moment. Thank you, Harry. Thank you, wizard. Um, so when you said, you know, I grew up in this religious cult, moved on from that, and, and Harry Potter, right, this this idea of magic and and kind of that whimsical childhood wonder, right? I'm still waiting on my letter from, from Hogwarts. Any day now, if that could show up, that'd be awesome. But, um, you know, there's a, a curiosity in me that wonders, like, if there's a part of you that wasn't really... It, it wasn't safe to let Harry Potter in, right? Like, it sounds like you had grown up in this, in this system, in this world that though it didn't feel like yours, it was safer to kind of deny the magic for a while. Does that feel true? Well, I think I've, I feel very grateful. And this comes up even when I'm with my mom today of, we know that creative energy and momentum come from that childlike spirit, right? So we have to see things from a child's eyes. Like we have to have that innocence in order for us to create something massively us, like it it comes from that space. So when I am, look, when I look at kind of like who I was growing up and who I was in those moments, I feel so grateful because I've had story after story where this is not the case where that childlike innocence was taken. And because of the situation I was in, um, for whatever reason that stayed, I got to keep that childlike innocence. And in a way that I was aware of some of the, you know, the ick that you know is wrong at a very young age, I was able to see people for who they were. And it's still a trait that I am very grateful for to this day of disingenuous people or personalities or archetypes, um, I can feel it very quickly. I, I recognize and I understand it within seconds of meeting someone with love and compassion always, but also like I, it gave me that uh, meter that I, I feel very grateful for. But for 
the reasons that I'm not quite sure I don't, I've always had this curiosity that I, I never let be taken away. And I don't know if that is just a byproduct of my parents, or if that's a byproduct of who I was when I entered this lifetime. Um, but I recognize when people try to stop that curiosity, that's usually when I would feel the resistance towards somebody. And I had a horrific time with authority. So for a long time, just in general, all authority was death. Like I had no desire to even at the age of four or five, um, which is why I think I became my own boss so soon when I was 20 years old, I wanted to be my own boss because I didn't want anyone to tell me what to do ever. <laughs> and it was a relationship with power that I really had to re-understand. Um, but I always recognize, I think, and it's good for us to recognize in our own lives when someone takes um, or kind of like steers or feels like it sucks you dry of that wonder, that creative wonder, it's my biggest red flag. And my biggest, like something isn't right here because that is the space that I think I, I just am so desperate to continue to live in. And it's sometimes hard too, because it's like not always realistic, right? It's like not always, it's like a little bit delusional and it doesn't make sense in this current world we live in like it doesn't add up for a lot of things or for a lot of people. It's like, that doesn't make sense. How, how does that work? But it's like the space that I really choose to cultivate and create so that I can, you know, find the safe places, as you said, for me to um, feel as if I can create or birth something that is helpful for humanity, even though it's like massively like a big thing to say, but truly like allowing myself to stay in that space and, kind of pull from those parts. Hmm. But thank you for that reflection. I can't wait to think more on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, let me know. Uh, <laughs> let me know how that journal entry goes. I will. One thing you said was kind of this vehement desire or denial of power and the power struggles. And I see that all the time in clients, right? Whether that's a couple or an individual having a power struggle within themselves, right? Like I should do this, or maybe I should do this, these different things. And so whether or not we want to accept it, there will always be a power dynamic at play somewhere in our life. So how did you start restructuring your relationship with power? Mm. Well, I think it's always this recognition of if we have an issue with power or authority, it's usually because somewhere we've misused it ourselves or there's a karmic tie to what we need to understand about our relationship with power. So for me, I really dug into that as somebody who has been a voice in the fitness nutrition world for a long time like seeing every shadow of all the parts and really having those hard, hard moments of, you know, what, what is my purpose in this life? And do I misuse that purpose or do I misuse that power in any way that's not unconditional love or compassion? Or have I in any way used that power or that position um, for not the best of humanity. And I think no matter how holy we are, we all have done it. We all have used a position or desired a position uh, for the benefit of self versus the benefit of the whole. 
And that has been really beautiful for me to just recognize and release and understand um, kind of the dark, the dark shadow work that we, we do. That is, I'm going to go travel to the depths and meet the sides of me that are so desperate to be seen and want to be loved and want to be validated um, that might translate into something that's not the, you know, that not the most pure of heart. Right. So I just really, anytime, and I think we all do this to some degree, but like I sometimes do it to a fault where there's a reason for everything. And so if I can always expedite my growth by seeing my external circumstances as a chance to internally go deep and dive into like anything I need to, anything that I need to see about myself, anything that I need to understand about myself, anything that I need to release about myself, I will do that fully and completely. There's been days where I'll like have a, you know, somebody, I'm trying to think of the the best example. It's like, um, where, it, you know, maybe it's a relationship. It's been a while since I've been in a partnership and those are usually the fastest, fastest expediting power struggles. But if I have some sort of struggle where I'm, I don't feel heard or validated, um, I'm really good at hermiting until I figure out what was the side of me that really got triggered by that. And I, I, I'm grateful for the space that I have to do that, to process some of these emotions. But I like really in 2020, just dug into the worst of me, you know, like every part of me that created for something other than love or every part of me that spoke from something other than making the world a better place. And it's so gnarly. (laughs) It's like the gnarliest thing to do is really see every piece of you, good and bad that allow you to show up and just be that person that you are in this moment. Um, But yeah, my relationship with power, I think has been mostly recognizing that I am just like you, we're here to help people realize like nobody has power over us and we are completely in our own divine self, like allowing that power, that empowerment to come through where we are our own authority and we are our own guru. We are our own superhero. We are our own boss. Like that's really needed for us to all recognize. And that's going to, be a much different world than we live in today when you think about it right if we if we are all in our fullest power and we don't have somebody above us and we stop this world where things are above us and the gurus above us knowing more than us um the whole thing has to crumble you know the whole thing has to change the structures have to be broken so it's really redefining the pyramid that we have all been living in calling it normal where there's a lot at the bottom and a few at the top and shedding it into what is, I think the spider web, you know, the network, the, the idea that we are all just so connected and here to guide each other. And when you build a business off of being some, being an expert, you know, that's like a radical shift that had to change. That was a a complete crumble of everything. (laughs) And it was so impactful and powerful. Um, and I'm, you know, grateful for the, the moments that made me brave enough to face that. Mm. But it is so gnarly. But what beautiful like growth there is to be had when we all know that and we're all living in that space. And when we can see that spider web versus 
fighting to climb to the top of the pyramid. Yeah, one thing, um, and it's it's kind of ironic that the Buddha said this because so many people right look up to that as the guru we're all knowing, right? And it was basically like, don't take anything for truth just because people before you have said that that is what is to be true, right? Until you have stood where they stand and you establish that truth for yourself, you can try to internalize that this is the truth for as long as you want. And it's not going to feel true to you because it very well may not be right. Like you have that authority or you have that divine power over yourself to start creating those own narratives and stories. Um, I think it's really powerful to kind of look inside and say, you know, as you said earlier, our interactions, the world life as we know it is a big mirror. And oftentimes when we are triggered or we're angry, there's something in somebody else that is also within us that we don't quite accept yet, right? And so it gives us, you know, shadow work to do when we can recognize our frustration in someone else, right? What are the unhealed parts of me? Is there ever a time when that goes overboard, right? When we find that we are making people's unacceptable behavior acceptable because I'm taking on responsibility that's not mine. Totally. It, it's kept me in way too many relationships for way too long. <laughs> totally. I think that's that fine line we addressed in my podcast of at what point is it just complete denial and cut off. And just as soon as I see a trigger, it's out. It's like the unfollow phenomenon, right? Like, oh, don't need to see that unfollow. Don't need to see that unfollow. Whereas I, I do have the tendency to be like, Hmm, what is this? <laughs> what is this inside me? That's wanting to get rid of this. And it's such a fine line to walk because you speak about this quite a bit with boundary. It's like, at what point is self curiosity or self-awareness detrimental to just being present? and recognizing that you're perfect as is. And so I think for me that the only way, and it's always a fine line to walk still, but the only way that I know I'm doing it too much is when I don't feel whole in self. I don't feel happy in self. I don't feel as if I am enough. It's the worth questions the same way that they would be on the other side of it. I like I'm a bad person or I, I'm being triggered too quickly or um, I need to improve on X, Y, and Z again and again and again. Like self-improvement can always be a, a band-aid for the deeper things that we need to work on, which is self-love and appreciation for exactly where we are. So it's just like anything. It's like the food is first, right? We figure out nutrition. We learn about nutrition maybe it's fitness first, first or second, we learn about our body, we learn about how to move. And then we just get into these layers that are deeper and deeper of awareness. Um, but when we're always fighting for a better body or a better deadlift or, you know, a better enter the blank, it's like, there's a, there's a point where it's never satisfaction of self. And that's what we all need is love and compassion for ourselves exactly as we are. And I think that that's like 
yeah, what, at what point, like what days do you allow yourself to dig in and find the triggers and see the mirror and reflect on your darkness and love yourself anyway? And then what days are you just like, I'm the shit. I don't need to do anything, right? Like there's just, it's just like ebbs and flows. And maybe if we did the math, they would be equal, right? They probably (laughs) are in some way at the end of our lifetime, they'll be exactly equal day to day of the days that we did do the shadow work and the days we don't. But that's why I love astrology. We talked about it briefly with your astrologist. It's like, it helps you see some like, if I know Neptune is coming around or if I know Pluto is coming around, then those are some of the shadowy days, right? But then if I know that there's more Jupiter things or more Saturn things, it's not about the shadows. It's about me and my shit and getting shit together. And so you can use the moon phases and astrology and um, just in general, like anything that gives you a, a reason to cut yourself some slack is probably a good thing. I don't think we're struggling with, or like, I don't think we need more tools of improvement as much as we need tools of radical self-acceptance. At least that's the case for me. Yeah. I, I love that you point out, you know, I can do the work and I say this all the time with my clients. I'm like, if you're always doing the work, it means that you're always accepting that something's broken, right? There is a time and a place when doing, to go back to what we were talking about much, much earlier, right, is such a form of spiritual bypass. Like if I'm just doing, 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 I'm never actually integrating the process and make, you know, letting that change me on a cellular level so that I can create and interact with the world in a different way. And I think a great kind of um, boundary that you put on that was, wait a second, is this work on me actually about me or is this work trying to keep something around trying to you know it's constantly telling me that I'm not enough or I'm not strong enough or thin enough or this enough or that enough and I want to change to meet someone else's standard you know it's kind of that barometer you were talking about about like oh you're stifling my creativity you're taking away that child like wonder I don't like that so I love that reframe. And I think it's so helpful because people who listen to podcasts like mine, like yours, or read the personal development books can get so stuck in the, like, I constantly have to be uncovering something new about myself. How have you kind of begun to integrate that process? Cause it sounds like a lot of digging and a lot of doing that you've done and also are so able to talk about it that it's clearly like it's, it's uh, marinated, it's digested and integrated into your system. Yeah, well, oh gosh, there's so much that comes up because it's this idea that we do the work, we heal, we're working on ourselves, and we stop living, we stop living. And when we are just living our life and going through our life, as long as we have space to integrate and space to process. That's really what it comes down to for me is I have to have quite a bit of space. So this is a self-awareness thing and same for the techniques you have. How much space do do I need? Does Emily need? Does Lindsay need? Does the person listening right now, how much space do you need to process and how do you process? That is such an integral part of the process, right? Like I know I need way more space than I thought to let these things actually marinate and change. And, uh, go through what they need to go through so that I understand them. So for me, if I am making sure that I have some sort of space, 
whether that's daily or weekly or monthly, whatever that space looks like for you, compounded or trickled in, if it exists and it would just be, let's say, white space, space that has no agenda, not agenda to process even, it's just space, then all I need to do is make sure that I'm living my life. Because as long as there's some space to process me living my life, you're going to get everything you need through your day-to-day interactions. And I really recognize this in Maui because it was so literal, like everything that I needed showed up in a day that I needed to understand, that I needed to have awareness to, that I needed to, you know, work through or think about or have in my awareness, like everything. And I thought it was just Maui. I thought it was just like what Hawaii does, which is like, I feel a little, I feel a little sad today. What's going on? I don't know, but I'm going to go to the grocery store. And then the person at the grocery store's cashier would be the name of my ex-boyfriend. I'm like, oh, okay. Thank you for sharing that with me. Like these, these signs are all around us if we're open to them. So I'm like, okay, I can tell that makes sense. Maybe that's what is, what's coming up for me. Maybe I need to have space to feel into that, but it's not just now. It's not just Hawaii. It's anywhere. If we allow ourselves to have that awareness. And so It's the trust that we talked about as well. It's like, I trust that when I need to do the work or when I really need to sit and go in on something really deep, it's usually kind of a pattern that I'm catching myself in or where I'm really in a funk, like something deep and heavy is there and I clearly need to move through it. The the universe will let me know. The world will let me know. I will know that that's the work I need to do. But until that happens, my work is to live my life. My work is to be the sun in my life. I am a sun person. I want to worship the sun. I want to be the sun and I want to help bring light to every single person I meet. I want to make everyone's day better. If I am on this planet for one thing, it's just to be that light, right? That's for all of us. And so when we're so consumed about finding the darkness and the shadows, we so forget that it's just our job to be ourselves. And if we are doing the work and the time that we give it um, in the spaces that we provide, the light gets brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter, right? But I don't think anything happens from just living in the shadows and living in the darkness, even though sometimes it's more comfortable, even though that sounds crazy, it's like, no, it's actually more comfortable for me to hermit and process all these emotions and go through all my dark shadows. But like nothing is gonna benefit from that. Nothing is gonna be improved from that. Like the the world we live in is so desperate for somebody to just be joyful. So if you have that joy, if you are that joy, if you're able to bring light to the world around you, you have to do it, you know? And I, I think that that's one of the things that I really forgot for a while. It was like, oh, I don't have to do anything. You just have to actually be kind and be loving and be compassionate. And in and of itself, you're changing the world around you. You're changing the people that you meet, the people that walk by you on the street. Um, Just your frequency is elevating. You know, the places that you visit, it's changing by you always doing the work in the places that you can, but like just showing up and being yourself. And so when I forget that sometimes or when I get into that space of like, there's so much work to be done. I remember like, actually we're cool. <laughs> go, go be your light somewhere, go be light and go make the world a better place. Cause we need it so badly. The world's so desperate for that, for that light in so many ways. Oh my gosh. Mic drop like that. That's it. Right. If you guys 
hung on for this full show and take nothing away, but don't always do the work. Bring your light to the world. This show will have done its job. <laughs> oh my gosh. Emily, thank you so much. I appreciate everything you shared and everything you continue to share through your poetry and your music and your uh, different social media platforms. And I want everyone to enjoy that light as well. So where can people find you? Well, I'm so glad we got to talk a two for one -er. So make sure you listen to Meathead Hippie. You were on that podcast as well. Um, kind of a continuation in many ways. And Emily Schramm is really the main thing. Emily Schramm on Instagram and my poorly done TikTok, as you said. <laughs> <laughs> we live we live in the poorly done TikTok world. Oh my God, together. I can't. But it is what it is. And uh, my website, that's where I have... Um, more about like the poetry and prose and my blog and um, just the things that I'm working on in, in the world today. So that would be the best place. Awesome. And that one's Platform Daily. Platform Daily actually is a great place too, but that I didn't even mention that. <laughs> <laughs> Platform Daily is like the fun place where everything I created lives in one spot. And I'm just so proud of it. It's like a nice little okay, we got all of our pieces of wellness here. So you can take the bird quiz and see all the things that I've been working on, um, but also emilystrom.com. Perfect. That'll all be in the show notes. Emily, thank you so much. Thank you, Lindsay.